This week on episode 487 of Priority One, we trek out streaming numbers, Viacom CBS BIPOC initiatives, who will be the next Jeopardy host, and Brentwood. In Star Trek Gaming, we talk about Star Trek Online's Zenkethi Lobi bundle, the dreaded MUD bundle of also dread, and STO's monetization model. Then we head on screen to watch Star Trek Discovery's newest episode, Die Trying. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by Eagle Moss Hero Collector in the brand new official Star Trek Online Starship Collection at herocollector.com forward slash st online. Save 10% with code PRIORITY10 at checkout, plus free shipping. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 487 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, November 17th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, November 20th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elio. I'm Kat. And I'm Tony. And in the live stream technical booth this episode is audio editor extraordinaire Brandon Parker. Brandon, thank you so very much for being willing to manage this cacophony of what is Priority One live streaming. Ah, thank you so much. I much appreciate it. Captains, each week between episodes, we love to engage in conversations with you, our listeners, on places like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you aren't already following us on any of those, be sure to look us up. There we post things like community questions, special announcements, and more. Just search for Priority One Podcast on your favorite social media app and you will find us. Or you can just email us. Reach us at incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, as you are already well aware, everyone who participates in the production of this show is a volunteer. I'd like making this comparison and I'm going to continue to make it. Priority One behaves much like a community theater organization. They're not in it for profit and many of them barely even break even. All the money that we collect from our patrons who find value in the content of the show, from the occasional sponsor that we receive, that money goes right back into the weekly production of this show. But we cannot produce this show without dedicated volunteers, people who have a passion for Star Trek and have talents that they feel might help better Priority One Podcast. So right now we have a few positions to fill. Specifically, we are looking to add more members to our audio editing team. So if you are interested, please visit PriorityOnePodcast.com. Check out the menu up above where it says join the crew. And there you'll find a description of what it means to be an audio editor for Priority One. No single person edits the entire show. So don't worry, we're not going to give you two hours of raw files to edit. 
we split it up. And so when we have more members of the team volunteering, it makes for light work. Many hands make for light work. So if you've had an interest in participating and being a part of the team for Priority One Podcast, so please visit our website, fill out the form, or just email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. We love numbers. They can tell us so much about a wide variety of topics. And also, they can tell us nothing at all. So take this exciting adventure with us, dear listeners, as we dive into the rush of alphanumerics, streaming numbers. This week, as they do most weeks, Business Insider ranked the top streaming shows for the last week, and Star Trek Discovery hit number three on the list. The ratings provided by Parrot Analytics place Star Trek higher than The Umbrella Academy and The Boys, but still looking up at Stranger Things and The Mandalorian. Star Trek Discovery's Metacritic rating for the current season is at 93%. That's also third on the list, topped by The Boys and the newest season of Star Wars, The Clone Wars, uh, which is at 100%. I guess everyone likes Star Wars. But numbers. According to Forbes, the state of the streaming wars, CBS All Access, the streaming platform that streams all things Star Trek, has the lowest subscriber numbers of any premium service, and they rolled Showtime subscribers into the All Access tally. Netflix tops the list with 195 million subscribers, and newcomer Peacock checks in with a solid 22 million. CBS All Access, 17 19.9 million. So what does that all mean? Well, like I said in the intro, numbers can tell us so much and at the same time, so little. There's a lot here to unpack just from these preliminary numbers. First of all, Disney already hit their goal that was set for 2024. 73.7 million subscriptions. That's insanity. That's just crazy to me. Um, what I'm what what is also surprising to me is how did Peacock already outsubscribe CBS All Access? I, that's that that's got me shaking my head too. I I mean Peacock is terrible. There's nothing on Peacock. There's like I mean there's just nothing going on on Peacock. I don't understand how they can have 22 million subscribers unless see this is my theory. Comcast owns NBC and Peacock is NBC's thing. So if Comcast just gave everybody a Peacock subscription or or Peacock access as part of their 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 cable package, that would count, I suppose, cuz they could just like charge people on their cable bill 9.99 a month or whatever and then just give them a 9.99 credit, which then would be they would be subscribers, but they'd be getting a credit on their cable bill. So I suspect shenanigans, but but still, that's that's pretty terrible. Be last place to come in behind Peacock. That's awful. Jamal Taylor says there's NBC Sports on Peacock, so that might be why there's more uh... people. I think CBS All Access has the CBS stuff, the CBS sports. Don't you get oh. sports entertainment done through CBS? Um, yeah. Some, I'm some. not sure. The other thing that I is a little misleading is comparing these numbers to shows that have already aired and are now just on, on not syndication, but now just you can play watch them at any time, like The Boys or Stranger Things. These seasons have already aired. If you're going to make the comparison, I think the better one is going to be Star Trek Discovery and... And The Mandalorian, because they both release on a weekly basis, right? Star Trek on Thursday and Mandalorian on Friday, um, or both on Friday if you're outside of the United States and can't watch Star Trek Discovery uh, on CBS All Access. So, yeah, it's a little misleading to, to start comparing them to the other older shows. All I can say is that whether you're comparing apples to oranges or apples to watermelons or whatever, Paramount Plus needs to do better, because if you're if you're in last place, uh, I mean, ABC has 
has Disney, so I mean, they, 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 that's just going to happen. But you got to do better than Peacock. Good Lord, it's shameful. If 2020 has done anything, it's given us all some level of anxiety. But it has also raised awareness of social injustice. This week, Viacom CBS continued to institute policies that will hopefully make Star Trek's future of inclusion and equality a reality. According to Deadline, CBS has enacted an edict that would require 50% of its reality television cast to be black, indigenous, or people of color. Further, at least 25% of the show's development budget must be spent on BIPOC creators and producers. Why is this important? Well, most programming for the 2020 and 2021 season has shifted towards reality programming due to the global pandemic. And the edict brings reality television in line with Viacom CBS's policies regarding its scripted brethren. Back in July, Viacom CBS announced that, quote, the broadcaster is committing 25% of its script development budget to projects from creators, writers, and producers who are black, indigenous, and people of color. The scheme will begin with the 2021-22 development season. It's also mandating that writers' rooms for CBS shows must be staffed with a minimum of 40% BIPOC representation for the 2021-22 broadcast season. This will be increased to 50% for the 2022-23 season. End quote. For a link, check it out in our show notes. Good for them. Way to be progressive. What's noteworthy from these articles is that Deadline writes, quote, CBS is the first broadcast network in the U.S. to put in hard targets. End quote. You see, this is what we're talking talking about, right? Actionable movements towards inclusivity, towards making it a better place for black, indigenous and people of color, right? That's this is what matters. It's not just about putting up a, an image of a black background and white text. This is taking action. This is measurable. This is something that they can this is something that they can be held accountable to. And it's great. Last week, Canadian-born game show icon Alex Trebek passed away after a battle with pancreatic cancer. The 80-year-old Trebek spent 37 seasons hosting the popular trivia game show Jeopardy, and following his passing, many were left wondering who would replace the legendary host. While no one could truly replace Trebek, many fans had a suggestion for the vacancy. Roots, Reading Rainbow, and and Star Trek star LeVar Burton. Fan Joshua Sanders started a Change.org petition for the 63-year-old Burton saying, quote, Between hosting 21 seasons of the educational Reading Rainbow, playing the brainiac engineer Jordi LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation, and filling the role of Kunta Kinte in the ever-important miniseries Roots, LeVar Burton has inspired and shaped the minds of several generations of trivia-loving nerds. This petition is to show Sony Pictures Entertainment Inc. and producer Mike Richards and Harry Friedman just how much love the public has for Burton and how much we'd all love to see him as the next host of Jeopardy, end quote. At the time of this writing, the petition had over 89,000 signatures with a goal of 150,000. On November 12th, the man of the hour, LeVar Burton, tweeted about the petition, saying, quote, Even if nothing comes from it, I can't tell you how much I appreciate all y'all's love and support. Folded hands, heart, suit, end quote. This is a great idea. Yeah, there aren't very many people that I can think of right now that could fill those shoes. I mean, Alex Trebek was a staple. I mean, he was a cornerstone of American television. I mean, it just... The list is very short of game show icons. I mean, Bob Barker, you got Alex Trebek, you know, Pat Sajak. (laughs) I mean, uh, the only thing, the only person better, I think, than LeVar Burton at this point would be 
Will Ferrell doing Alex Trebek. I mean, that would, that would, I think that's the only other person that could do it besides LeVar Burton. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. But I mean, I think that, that LeVar has had such a pivotal role in education, in literacy that i mean who else but who else but lavar it's the credibility factor i mean he was you know just the people the target market for jeopardy is unfortunately being coming towards people my age you know because uh, the, there's, there's there's older folks and they may that's remember not true. you know that's not true i have i have a lot of friends who have even tried out for jeopardy oh, my really? age actually even younger it, uh oh. this one guy that i do quite a quite a number of shows with talented pianist and accompanist he is like die hard Jeopardy fan and he's in his late 20s. Yeah. I think that just makes the case stronger. I have a friend that actually was on Jeopardy. She posted her pictures with Alex Trebek and nice. yeah, it was really sweet. And yeah, I mean, I don't think she got very far, but good for her. Yeah. She made oh, it on. <laughs> getting LeVar Burton to do it, I think would there's a certain credibility for the guy that says you should read a book and then you see him on, on the stage, you know, giving answers to trivia questions. I mean, there's a trust factor there. And he's really personable. I mean, when, when you see him at the conventions and stuff, he just, on stage, he's got a very warm personality. And I think that people would connect with him on the screen uh, in, that, in, that, in that role as a host. So it's a good choice. They should do it. Well, that leads us to our first community question for this week. Do you think LeVar Burton should be the next host of Jeopardy? If so, have you signed the petition? And if not, why haven't you? Go sign it now. Links will be in our show notes. And don't forget, you can comment and share with us why you think LeVar Burton would be an excellent, excellent host of Jeopardy by replying to this community question post at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by replying to this post on social media, typically when we post it on Wednesdays. Well, it sounds like everybody loves LeVar Burton, right? Wrong. Brent Spiner hates LeVar Burton. And after all seven of those Evites, who can blame him? If you've got no idea what I'm talking about, then you're going to want to follow the link in our show notes. Well, after you're done listening to this show, of course. Spiner and the aforementioned LeVar Burton star in the Amaletto short film titled Brentwood. In the short form comedy, Spiner plays an exaggerated version of himself. Think along the lines of Larry David from Curb Your Enthusiasm, who hates his neighbors, conventions, award shows, podcasts, and especially hates LeVar Burton. Is it really an exaggeration? Is it? I don't know. I, <laughs> having heard your stories, it may not be much of one. They're singing, dancing, shrimp, EpiPens, and content rather inappropriate for younger audiences, so uh, be sure to keep that in mind before you turn it on. The 12-minute film was directed by Sharon Everett and written by her, Karen Anderson, and Jeff Cosgrove. Check out our show notes if you want to watch the film, and trust me, I think you want to watch the film. I liked it. It was funny. The beginning of this featurette picks up where it left off a few months ago. He did that number where, you know, everybody wants Brent and he's, you know, tossing the the laundry around. That opening scene was obviously part of this bigger thing, which is fun and exciting. Uh, good for him. Good for him for staying creative during this pandemic. Did I, there was there was not a lot of social distancing going on. Was this during the pandemic or did they film it before? Oh, I don't know. That's a good See, question. I think they probably filmed it before. Maybe. But, maybe. Yeah, but it, it's still, it's it, yeah, there were a couple of good laugh out loud type moments there, and yeah, it was it was it was a good show. Well, captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Welcome aboard, Captain. Congratulations, high score. 
Captains, before we move on to gaming news this week, we need to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Egomoss, and their Hero Collector series of Star Trek Online Starships. Captains, over the last four weeks, we've been unboxing these ships live on air, where we've held it up to the camera, and you know what? Honestly, holding it up to a webcam doesn't do these ships justice. But I can tell you this, they are impressive. From the box to the ship itself, these are high-quality, die-cast models that are stunning replicas of what you see in Star Trek Online. Gorgeous. Oh, yeah. I love mine. I got the Romulan one. But you also get the, you know, in the box, you get the little magazine, and it has some really cool artwork in there. And, man, it's just a cool presentation altogether. Right now, the collection's got six new ships exclusive to Eagle Moss. Uh, they're all from Star Trek Online, taken from the 3D models themselves. So what you see in the game is what you're going to see on your desk. And in addition to the, uh, we've, we've got Nog's ship, the Chimera. We've got the Romulan uh, Warbird Cruiser. We've got uh, Jemadar ship they've got the klingon bortos queue there are there's a model for you for sure Ooh, yeah don't forget about the baran my favorite and the baran <laughs> sorry sorry i left that off well yeah and here's the thing captains the holidays are right around the corner and so if you're looking to kind of spend and splurge for yourself or if you have to tell that special someone and give them hints on what to get you if you don't already own an eagle moss ship you definitely need to take advantage of this if you if you do own eagle moss ships you should take advantage of this. Why? Because not only are these ships just $30, but if you use coupon code PRIORITY10 at checkout, the priority word, then one zero at checkout, you save 10% on your order. Plus, you get free shipping. So there's really no reason why you shouldn't jump on this offer. Of course, we thank Eagle Moss for their ongoing support of Priority One Podcast and check it out. The handy website will be priorityonepodcast.com forward slash ships or visit our website because we've got it splashed all over it. Bundles, bundles, bundles. If there's anything that typifies the current player experience in Star Trek Online, it's the ever-expanding number of bundles for sale. By far, the majority of bundles have been available through the C-Store. Isn't it time for the Lobby Store to get some love? Well, fear not, PC captains, because the Zenkethi are here to help. Sort of. Hooray! The limited edition Zenkethi Lobby Bundle will be locking its trajectory onto the PC Lobby Store from November 20th through the 30th. Captains who drop 1,800 Lobby Let me repeat that just real quick. 1,800 Lobby and Walk of the Path of Spending will get these character-bound bundle content to wit, <clears throat> the Zenkethi Shukdin Escort, that's a tier six, five diffusive Tetrion weapons, a universal console, the shared processing integration, the Zenkethi Vanity Shield, Zenkethi Duty Officer assignments, and six ultimate tech upgrades. 1800 Lobi. <sighs> <laughs> so uh, I want to break this down, right? Because lobby are this currency, second chance currency, a currency, a very, but, but I, I wanted to almost call it ethereal because in a box, when you open a lockbox in Star Trek online, mm -hmm. you can either get the big prize or you can get a little prize or something. Right. And we've had conversations with folks like our Vera time and again, where they are very defensive about lockboxes. Right. And the idea, 
idea that nobody should open up a lockbox and feel like they didn't get something worthwhile. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, a buck twenty-five worthwhile. Right. So I'm thinking of what this translates to in dollars. Right. Eighteen hundred low buy. One thousand eight hundred low buy. Yes, I have that number. At an average of what? You open up a box and you get anywhere between four, one and four. No, 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 four. Starts at four generally. Starts it, at four generally. Okay. The average is four. Right. It can there can be more, but the more low buy are the special things which you don't get very often. I suppose the average could be four point one, but you get four low B. That's what you get. So what's that math? What does what does eight eighteen hundred? Four hundred and fifty dollars. Okay, so four hundred and fifty dollars. Pretty much. Right of opening boxes. Right. That's what we're talking about. Just a, roughly four hundred fifty dollars of opening boxes, give or take. Are keys a buck or a buck twenty five? One twenty five. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Pardon me. I need to adjust my calculation here real quick. 450 times 1.25. Excuse me. I I apologize. That's $562.50. U.S. dollars. U.S. dollars. American. And they are selling this bundle for how much? 1,800 Lobi. That's right. You can't buy it with money. You have to buy it with Lobi. Yes. Right? Lobi is not a currency that can be exchanged or uh, handed to other players. It is bound to character, to account. Bound to account. I think it's bound to character, isn't it? No, account. Bound account, okay. The items you purchase with Lobi, but the Lobi itself is, is account bound. And that's what I was saying, that Lobi is not exchangeable. Right. How, oh, does it, you can put it in your account bank or something like that? And, yes, uh, yeah. Yes, yeah, you can put it to your account. Lobi, not the not the item, but the Lobi you can you can move between characters. Right. I have like six characters. I only ever play the one. I only ever open up lockboxes <laughs> on the one. I apologize for my ignorance. I just don't play the old game. All right, Kat, what's the reaction been? What's your opinion on it? I haven't really heard anyone say anything positive about this because normally ships in the Lobby store are 900 Lobby, the new newer ships. So 1800 Lobby, you could get two ships, but they're throwing in, you know, your weapons in this console that you get off another of the Zenkethi ships, but that is available through the Infinity. So when you open Infinity lockboxes, you can get consoles, and that is one of the options that you can pick. So there's a couple of ways you can get that console. Which console? What are we talking about? We're talking about the Universal Shared Processing Integration console? Correct, correct. And that's a console that people kind of want? It's a really good console. Um, but the point is you're spending all this lobby for one ship and, you know, stuff that you could get otherwise. It's probably cheaper th- to get it otherwise than to spend all your lobby on this pack. From what I have heard in Armada Chat and on Twitter, yeah, no one's really a fan of this pack. I am not going to get this pack. I do want to point out one thing, and uh, Duncan Idaho and someone else mentioned it earlier, is that right now there's a Modifius promo that comes with that exact ship for $15. So 1800 Lobby is not... <laughs> this is not where you want to spend your Lobby, people. <laughs> so Wait, 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 wait. You can get the ship with this console that people want? No, no, just the ship, just the ship. Not not the extra bits, just the ship, but the ship. It's $15. Not, no, do not spend your Lobby on this. There are so many other things in the Lobby store worth getting. Duly noted. We'll have links, of course, to that modifious bundle in our show notes. Thief, swindler, con man, liar, rogue, yes. Harcourt Benton Mud has warped into the sea store with another of his infamous Mud's Market Choice Packs. This week's new offering is called Mud's Choice Pack of Dread. Since we're all getting pretty familiar with the idea of Mud's Choice Packs by now, let's just cover the essential details quickly. From the Choice Pack, you can choose any three of the following. The T6 Herc 
Vecrid Hive Dreadnought, the T6 Tholian Tarantula Dreadnought, the T6 Temporal Paradox Dreadnought, 50 Master Keys, 2 coupons for a 100% off Tier 6 Sea Store ship, or 10 Ultimate Tech Upgrades. And let's not forget, those T6 Dreadnoughts are account-wide unlocks only when purchased here. If you buy the same ship with Lobi, it's a character-locked ship. First, let us state something clearly. The value proposition for this bundle looks decent in the mathematics, like pretty much all of the legendary bundles or MUDs packs. If these choices look good to you and you've got the disposable cash, then you probably won't get struck with buyer's remorse. Now, let's talk about why we're not going to rave over another one of MUDs market bundles. Not to put too fine a point on it, 2020 has been a year of seismic change in how Star Trek Online wants you to buy starships. And if I asked you how many brand new tier 6 ships hit the sea store for individual non-bundle purchases in 2020, what would you guess is that number? How many ships have been released like that? If you guess more than four, you're wrong. August's cross-faction support carrier bundle introduced only four individually available ships new to the sea store this year. Now, let's ask this. How many new or remodeled tier six ships hit the sea store this year, locked and bound into a bundle selling for between 60 and $120 US? The correct answer, we believe, is seven ships. For bonus points, how many new tier six ships have arrived via lockbox or promotional boxes in 2020? Yeah, we count five of those. Which brings us back to the topic at hand, Mud's Market, where another deal slides in at the $295 regular price for three ships. This is the third Mud's Choice Pack of 2020. A few other ships appeared solo in Mud's Market as well. This adds up to something like 23 out of 27 ships in the year of our Lord 2020, not available for single purchase via Zen. It's pretty clear to us that the direction of monetization in Star Trek Online has taken a drastic turn towards high-stakes purchases. So we don't think it's just a question of whether there's value in these bundles. Clearly, there is, mathematically. But what about the offerings for lower stakes, more casual players? Everybody wants to enjoy the amazing work of Star Trek Online's talented ship artists and ship designers, but it's monetized way out of reach for most people. For the love of the great bird, don't even mention the reputation Tier 5 buyout, or someone's going to lose it over here. This is price discrimination at work, right? Set it up way high, clear the market for the people that are willing to pay those super high prices, and then occasionally put it on sale or maybe break it out into individual chunks later on. This is market segmentation, price discrimination. It's textbook. So I don't understand this MUDS market thing. I don't, but you know, finances and economics have never been my strong suit. Um, so I will not pretend to understand it. But right now, this bundle is at an introductory price that translates to roughly $150 or so, right? You buy $100 worth of Zen, which gives you 10,000, 11,000 Zen. Then you need an additional $20 or so, $50 or so to make up the difference. So let's just round it to about $150 and you get this bundle. I Why are they doing this? Tell, Tony, explain this to me again. Why, if I remember correctly, when the MUDS market first dropped, it was an experiment in marketing and PR. Like, nah, nobody's ever gonna buy it at 295. We're just offering it 
now at, you know, this price because that's, you know, Richard's trying to be funny and coy because it's mud. It's Harry Mud. It's a game, just like the game. So you set the regular price at the super high level and you try to get everybody, you know, what the idea is, if people want it bad enough, they'll pay the really high price. The introduction here is that get it while it's hot. See who really goes for it. And it gives them idea of how popular the bundle is because the resistance to buying it is much lower. So they'll get an idea of how good the bundle is by seeing the uptake of it. Then they put it back to the regular price. And from then on, it's just, well, who really is desperate enough to take it? And then eventually, once they've got everybody who will jump on it at the low resistance, everybody that will buy it against their better judgment because they really, really want those items, right? Once they've cleared that segment of the market out, then at some point later, they can break it down into smaller bundles or just put the big bundle on sale again at an even deeper discount because they will have cleared the market of everybody who wants to pay the high price. It's segmentation of the market. Everybody who is happy or at least willing to pay the high price has been cleared out. Those people are gone. Now we're down to the little people. All right, Kat, go ahead and talk to us a little bit about, you know, what overall, how this impacts players, existing players. I mean, there's always players that want the new thing, no matter what it costs. But it also seems like they're testing the market too on where their price point's going to be on some of these packs. Because where this is the regular price of what, $295, some of the other packs, you know, their regular price is 120 So I feel like they're trying to find the point at which people are willing to buy up most of these bundles and the price that's just too high by the, you know, less lower performing bundles. But every week is a new bundle. And, you know, it's some combination of either a character only ship that you can get in lobby like these, you know, this new bundle. These are all lobby ships that you can get. And so now because because Lobi is character bound, the appeal of this pack is if you really like those ships, you want them account wide. Wait, I thought Lobi was not character bound; it was account bound. Right, but once you buy something with your Lobi, the item is character bound. So if you buy one of these ships out of the Lobi store, it's character bound. But the appeal of these packs is that it makes these ships account unlocks, uh, which is what suckered me into the Amari one because dang, I love that ship and I totally bought that pack. <laughs> Because, you know, sometimes you pick it for the wrong character and you're like, I really wish I would have chosen this ship on a different character. This gives you that ability. So if there's a ship in there that you really like, you know, and you picked it on the wrong character, this gives you the ability to pick it on the character you want. So let me ask this question. How many players really take advantage of account unlock starships anyway? I've said before, time and again, I'm a casual player and I have my main. I have one other alt that I don't even know why I still have it. And then I have a Klingon, right? And so I I don't have dozens of alts. I don't have a long list of alternate characters and other characters to play Star Trek Online. So it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah, you're right. I mean, some people that do have a lot of characters do want the options, but a lot of people have specific characters that it doesn't matter to them that they would never fly the same ship on two different characters anyway. So, you know, it comes down to the, did you regret opening on the character you opened it on, you know, and how valuable is that for you to be able to open it on the one you wanted it on? But yeah, for a casual player, you know, the account unlock is probably not that appealing. So maybe it's just getting the other bits, the ultimate tech upgrade keys or whatever else is offered in the bundle. Maybe that's an incentive for, you know, players. And let's go back to the low B versus C store thing that we we opened the segment with is that people have had problems with lock boxes for a while. We were vociferous when this first came out. We had many conversations with Al when they first did low, uh, lock boxes. 
this may be their testing of how to get away from being lockbox dependent or attempting to lower their dependency on lockboxes because maybe they see smoke on the horizon via government regulation or whatever. They may be trying to find different ways to give people items for cash without the, I'm going to use gambling in quotes because lockboxes I don't think are really gambling, but you know, without the gambling factor of lockboxes, which would obviously then eliminate lobby as a thing because you wouldn't need a second chance store if you weren't, quote, gambling with lockboxes. So we may be seeing the smuds market as and the bundling as, as tests of how to continue to get high dollars from your whales, but then at the same time also eventually cater to people who want the lower stakes transaction. So we haven't seen very many ships be released, like new brand new ships be released in the sea store as independent pur- purchases for a long while. Right. Mm-hmm. For reasons previously discussed. What's going to happen? What's So they're going to run out of ships to rebundle, right? They are they gonna start releasing new ships as bundles? Like I can only imagine, right? How the team reacted to this last week's episode of Star Trek Discovery and all those future uh, yeah. ships. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. right? I can I can only imagine how excited they were. Freeze framing, blowing up into huge monitors. Yeah, exactly. And we need to we need to take a moment to separate something, right? They're not excited because they want to nickel and dime you. They're excited because people like Thomas and his team and and the environment artists get excited because they are artists, they are creatives. How that ends up being delivered to the public has very little to do with them, right? They make them and then it's up to the higher upset cryptic or perfect world on how to sell it, right? Mm -hmm. So when I say that they're excited, it's because they're genuinely excited. They want to get to work on these things and, and create these beautiful ships. But on the other end of this spectrum are the players, right? Especially Especially the long-term players. And I think that we need to take a moment to figure out who this is for. This seems to be, these bundles this last year really seem to be geared towards incoming players that may have started watching Star Trek Discovery or Picard on CBS All Access and then are like, oh, I want to play a game now about Star Trek. Let me let me take a look at, at what's available to play. Well, a new player doesn't have all these ships because they missed out on these lockboxes or they don't have the bank that sets them up to be able to purchase these easily. So who is it for? New players, right? Yeah. It's for everyone. All right. So what's going to happen now with new ships, though? What are we going to do? What's going to happen with new ships? We'll probably see most of them in lockboxes or bundles. Or R&D packs. Yeah, or the R&D packs, right. If you really want to make people happy. <laughs> uh, I, quote, unquote. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and those things find their way to the exchange. So, I mean, again, the underlying design of Star Trek Online is that you can eventually, I underscore the word eventually, fly any one of these ships without paying a dime. Eventually. It's been a long road. Well, it's a long road getting from there to here. I think that the players who have been here for a long while, this is always going to upset them. This is always going to piss us off. Yeah. It's always going to do it. It's always going to be like, this is this is bullshit. This is nonsense. Why are they bundling these ships? We already have these ships. Why do I got to buy them again? For marginal improvements for existing players, right? For existing players. Marginal improvements for long-term, the guy, the folks that have been around for 10 years. What they really should start thinking about is remembering that there are players like us, okay? The ones that are, that take to Twitter and start 
moaning about these bundles that are the choir, the one that preached the good word of Stowe for other potential players out there. You got to throw us a bone. Figure out how to keep... They really don't. No, of course they don't, Tony. Yeah, they, no, they don't really. But it would be nice to, ha- to, to, to throw us a bone. Would be nice. And figure out a way to deliver some sort of player appreciation. And you know what? If they are doing so well financially... If Star Trek Online is doing so well financially, because time and again, every time we have somebody on the show, if we talk about numbers, if they say something about numbers, it's this is the best year, you know, every year is the best year for Star Trek Online. If that's the case, then please divert some money into improving the quality of life in Star Trek Online. Because then maybe we'd go, all right, yeah, let those newbies buy these $250 ships. Go ahead, but buy these bundles, newbies, because that money is not only going to give us these temple events, but it's also going to go into improving systems that are buggy, systems that are outdated, systems that definitely need a facelift. You just want to sing Ode to Joy now. <laughs> you know, Hallelujah was just the warm up. You want, you want them to deliver some sort of quality of life improvement that lets you rip off Ode to Joy. I, I sense that. I, I hear that. That's what I hear you say. I, yes. And Duck and I. Idaho says that quality of life improvements are a big target for 2021, according to 10 Forward Weekly. I kind of believe it when I see it because quality of life was supposed to be D'Angelo's thing. Yeah. But I, and I want to I want to I want to go back to something you said a little bit ago. The, these things are marginal improvements to people that have been in the game a long time. Those are the only improvements that you're ever going to get because you've been keeping up with the power creep throughout the history of the game. For new players like you said earlier, these bundles might be very attractive because they will offer a concrete jump in capability from maybe their, you know, free to play stuff or or their or their uh, you know initial tier six ship purchase. Now I've got three tier six ships that I can choose from and it will be not a marginal increase, but a concrete magnificent increase in what they can do. And so it might be worth the 300 bucks to them or the 150 on sale or whatever. The game here is to clear out the people who will pay a high price first and then maybe someday break out the ships into smaller bundles once that market has been cleared. That That's the story of how they're going. And like I said, I think they, they may be trying to wean themselves off lockboxes or at least give them an alternative earning mechanism. If there's any pending lawsuits, which I suspect there are, maybe they're just coming up with plan B. But not all of these bundles are bad. There have been some really good bundles. Like, I bought, I'd say, I bought a fair amount of these bundles, and it's worth it to me, and I've been playing a long time, so it's not the worst thing ever, but some of some of them, the $300 ones, that's that just seems really high. And remember, the theory is that even with lockboxes, you're supposed to get a buck twenty-five worth of stuff out of a lockbox. Right. Even if it's you know short-term boosts and lobby and whatever, you're supposed to be maybe you don't get the big ship, but you do get a buck twenty-five worth of stuff. They're hoping that you get one hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars worth of stuff out of these bundles. But they'll understand if you don't see that value and want to wait for them to eventually break it out into sea store stuff eventually one day, maybe. I just want to come on the podcast and I want to read one of these bundles. And even though we may absolutely hate it, I want to be able to say, nah, go buy it because that money is going to go to fixing the DOFs or updating the UI for inventory and helping us manage inventory better. Or like, I want to be able to say those those things, right? But we just got last week an update to the loadout system that broke for some people. Again, broke for some people. I saw Loot Crater posting about how whatever they did to make these loadouts 
save more things broke his traits and he had to retrace his entire character again. Yep. Like, why? Why Why are things like that slipping by? Do recall that we sang the praises of the Lifetime right. uh, sale last week, okay? So, I mean, there are some things which we clearly think are worth it and we will say so when we, we think there are, but a lot of these bundles are currently, you know, your mileage may vary type purchases, which, you know, it depends on the player. Yeah, uh, the whole respec issue after we just had the respec issue, that is real annoying. Especially if you've got 18 alts. Right. Hello, 42. 42, excuse me. I apologize. Didn't mean to undersell you there, Kat. Didn't mean to undersell you there. Uh, yeah, I spent the last month respecking that I get to respect them all again. You respect again. Yay. <laughs> yeah, but you know you know what, though, man? Is that Star Trek Online shouldn't be that. That should not be the player experience for somebody with 42 alts. You do kind of sign up for it. I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't play all of them every day. I mean, every... I play probably 10 regularly. You do kind of sign up for it when that happens. Yeah, but you get so much dilithium. Yeah, but I don't want to do that with three alts. (laughs) I don't want to do that with three alts. I don't want to do that with one character. I don't want to log into the game and have to spend 30 minutes. Yeah, 30 30 minutes. Fine. Let's just say 30 minutes. Even if it's 10, I don't want to spend 10 minutes being an IT person for Star Trek Online. I want to go in and I want to blow something up. I don't want to have to figure out a workaround for a feature that should have been released and working. Strictly speaking, you don't have to slot any traits. You could just go in and blow something up without your traits. I don't know what. Yeah, I'm super <laughs> easy, <laughs> and, so and I and I have to fire and I have to fire in a patrol from from eleven from ten kilometers and then reverse, so I keep my distance from the enemy target. No, I'm not going to do that, Tony. I'm just saying you don't. Your, your player experience is your own choice. If you feel the need to slot your traits, then you go right ahead. But you don't have to. Could go traitless. Yeah, but you have to do your whole skill tree and then your trait. I mean, it's not just traits. There's a whole lot involved and yeah it's a real annoying <laughs> yeah it wasn't just your like the the character tree it was ev- it was the entire tree got wiped out and people had to rebuild the whole tree the whole tree and the trades space trades ground trades reputation trades all that stuff everything had to be redone yeah man i don't want to i don't want to log into a video game and spend 10 minutes tidying up i don't think i've respect from the last thing that they did i just jump in and just shoot stuff i just i don't need it well you may not have to i mean the thing is if your skills trace is invalid traits until you want to change something, it's it's still working the way you had it set up. You don't have to, but the minute you change something, you have to. And look, I know that we've I've been on Star Trek Online for the last twenty minutes. I get it, but if I really didn't like Star Trek Online, you wouldn't complain. Would I have produced with the help of my beautiful partner a Hallelujah chorus? Right? Like, would would I have done that? No. Like, I, no. I. It is important to realize that you can love something and be critical of it as long as you are offering constructive criticism you know it, 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 you can love something and still want it to be better yeah i mean i still logged in and did my event today because i want that targ <laughs> well after bemoaning star trek online for a few minutes let's ask a community question how do you feel about the selection and pricing of new Star Trek Online ships in 2020? Again, let us know in the comments section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or be sure to follow us on social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram where we post our community questions for you to reply to. This just in to the Priority One Newsroom. Cryptic made the following announcement on November 18th after we recorded everything you just heard. So if this seems out of left field, when we just went off about Cryptic not releasing new ships, well, it is. 
such as life. Listeners may remember that back in episode 482, associate producer Thomas declared that Stowe would have a T6 Luna class vessel by the end of 2020. It'd be the perfect time with an appearance in lower decks and the long-standing player demand for such a ship. And wouldn't you know it, now we're getting just that. Who was right? Yes, Thomas was right. Arriving on PC on November 20th, the Titan class science destroyer offers a compelling platform for pew-pewing new life and new civilization. Like the Dyson Destroyers before it, the Titan class toggles between science and tactical modes, reflecting its dual roles in exploration and combat. It also comes with the opening Salvo Universal Console, which fires variable projectiles depending on your ship's current mode, kind of like the Arbiter's Vada Console. The projectiles do kinetic damage in both modes, but in default, which is science mode, they temporarily disable all of the target's subsystems. Flipped to tactical, the salvo will do kinetic, AoE, and inflict a damage resistance debuff instead. Finally, the opening salvo console boosts exotic particle generators and weapon specialization, so it'll be a welcome addition to whatever mode or mood you're in. As a T6 ship, the Titan class also features the It's Another Enterprise Starship trait. Oh no! It's another Enterprise! Red alert. When slotted, activating your Captain's Fleet ability will summon your faction's flagship for temporary assistance. This update also introduces a fleet T6 version of the Titan and gives the existing Luna-class model a hi-fi redo like those seen in the Ship of the Line bundles. Oh, and in case your KDF characters are feeling left out, don't worry, they can also claim and fly the Titan-class. Ambassador Kale confirmed today that no, that wasn't what Cryptic planned to do, but some mistakes are just too late to fix. So, you know, I don't... I think there's a question to be had here. Like, are, is this perhaps the first of many tier five ships that will see an upgrade to tier six? You know, like the old Star Cruiser, you know, ships like that. But putting that aside, you know, there are ships that currently exist in the game that are kind of comparable. I mean, the closest ship right now is the Section 31 Destroyer, uh, the Mirror Crossfield. But both of these are random drops through lockboxes or trying to find a way to purchase them through the exchange. So the Titan is better in that you know you're going to get it for a fixed price. Yeah, I mean, that's a welcome change. It seems like lately, you know, we already talked about all the bundles. So a single ship, and now you can get it across your entire account, whether you're Fed or KDF. It's amazing. And I already got it. Yeah, I did use my free tier six coupon. I seem to have had one. I don't know if it was from this recent, this next update that we're about to talk about, this next announcement, uh, or if I had it all along and I just just didn't realize it, but anywho, it was a welcomed purchase. But speaking of holidays, captains, it's the most lucrative time of the year. No, captains, you're probably not suffering the effects of temporal narcosis, temporal flux, or spoiled canar. Black Friday in Star Trek Online has indeed come a full week before the American Thanksgiving holiday. As of November 20th, the start of the sale, Cryptic is offering the following in-game discounts. 20% off of Lobby items in the Lobby store, 50% off of MUD's market items, and 25% off all other Zen store items. During the sale, Cryptic is offering a three-pack of non-bound Tier 6 ship coupons coupons at the also discounted price of 4,500 Zen. These coupons are freely shareable, so you can give your friends and loved ones the tier six ship of their dreams. 
Ones. Or, you know, you can get yourself three tier six ships for half off at an unspecified future date. We're not going to judge. Black Friday 2020 runs through November 30th at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Again, temporal mechanics in check. But one way or another, you'll need Zen to reap those benefits. Anyone not sitting on a dilithium stockpile can instead leverage the following charge bonuses until December 3rd. On PC, there's a 30% bonus on charges of 10, 100, and 200 made through the ARC client. Xbox One has a 30% off packs of 1,000, 11,000, and 23,000 Zen. On PS4, there's 30% off packs of 1,000 and 11,000 Zen. Just to note here, you can also get a bonus by purchasing Zen through Steam. So if you're still, like me, buying your Zen through Steam, you'll get a bit of a bonus. I just purchased it earlier today. So, all right, we recorded the show originally on Tuesday night, and we ripped into Star Trek Online for the bundles like the Muds Market bundle and then the Lobby bundle. And we were talking about how there hasn't been a tier six ship released in the Zen store on its own for quite some time. And lo and behold, they released the tier six Luna class. Yeah, that was like the next day. <laughs> next day. <laughs> so uh, excuse the delay on this episode, Captains, but we felt like we'd be shooting ourselves in the foot had we published the show without adding this new information. Now, here's the thing. If you've been, you, you check and make sure that you don't already have a tier six coupon that you can use to purchase the Titan. Because when I went to look at the Titan in the C store, I I happened to have a tier six coupon I, for free. And I don't, I didn't buy one. I It was in my inventory, obviously, or in my, for my account. So I was able to get it. A yeah. brand new tier six ship, which normally they don't do. Normally, tier six, like brand new tier six ships are excluded from any promotions. I feel like that was a giveaway or some type of special tier six ship coupon that we all got for some reason. I can't remember. I'm sure sure some of our listeners out there remember how we got that. But right, I used right. mine too, and I got my Titan today. So here we have a, a tier six Titan class ship that accidentally was allowed to be played by KDF members that is also not excluded from any of the promotional stuff, like any of the promotional pushes that they're having, which they normally do, which I think is is great. Yeah, I mean, maybe they've been listening to complaints. I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot, of, there's been a lot of player grumblings about all the bundles, you know, not just ours. But um, yeah, this is welcome and nice. I mean, I absolutely would have paid money for it had I not had the coupon, but I did. So I also bought Zen. So there's that. It totally got me. Yeah. yeah Way to I, go, Cryptic. <laughs> yeah, I purchased Zen and I used it. I used it to get the um, Widening Gyre space set. I did purchase it on that. Well, that was worth it too. Yeah, so I still have some Zen, but I, you know, I might use it for a fleet module so I can go ahead and purchase it. Now, I will say this. I still stick to my original opinion that if Star Trek Online is improving financially year after year, as they have said on the show, I would love to see a better balance of applying this money to not just the tentpole events, but to improving the game's quality of life. Absolutely. I don't think this really changes our arguments from before. It's just changes the numbers we talked about. I mean, it's only been one ship, you know, and it's the end of the year. So we 
probably won't see another one. So, you know, doesn't make that much of a difference, but it is is a welcome addition. Are you going to get anything in the Lobby store that's 20% off now? Is there anything you've been eyeing? Well, I have an entire list and I was really hoping for a bigger percentage of discount and I might just keep holding on to my Lobby till I get bigger numbers because 20% is not what I had budgeted. And I normally don't spend my Lobby on ships unless they're on sale at a good rate. Has it been higher than 20%? Oh, before? absolutely. There's been 50. Yeah. It's been up to... but. Uh, that was a special, you know, anniversary thing. I don't think it'll ever go as high as 50 again, but it would be mm. nice. Maybe 30. Uh, mm. And if that's the case, then I will definitely, you know, go through my list. But there's some really good. Um, I no- Yeah, again, I normally don't buy ships with Lobi unless it's on sale. But the Baul set that's in the space set that's in the Lobi store, I really want that for a character. I have it on a different character, which I'm, I really wish those were account bounds. But yeah, so I'll buy that set again. It's fine. Well, captains, we want to hear from you. Will you be taking advantage of any of these sales? And if so, what items or ships are you looking forward to purchasing most? Well, there was also some lighthearted Star Trek-related gaming news this past week. Anthony Rapp, Discovery's Paul Stamets, tweeted out a hashtag nerd alert on the 9th. In the tweet, Rapp declared that, quote, There's a small but mighty group of Star Trek Discovery cast members who've begun a Dungeons & Dragons campaign, end quote. Rapp himself is apparently playing a half-elf druid, even going so far as sharing a screenshot of his character sheet. The gaming group on set is comprised of the DM, Mary Wise's husband Noah, plus Rapp and four fellow castmates. In the ensuing Twitter discussion, Rap named party members as Blue Dabario, playing the tiefling wizard Bink, Ian Alexander, playing the elf bard Vivi, and Emily Coots, playing half-elf cleric Erlia. The final member of the party is unnamed, but Rap says they're playing a Goliath Ranger. When asked about playing a Star Trek Adventures tabletop campaign, Anthony replied, quote, We can play Star Trek for a living. It's a very, very pleasurable living, but D&D is our escape, end quote. Oh, that's so cute. And it's everywhere. I know, but like now I'm dying to know who the DM is. Yeah, I'm curious about that too. Hmm. Who's 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 run, who's running that adventure? Now we need to find out. Now I'm curious. I know, but that's so adorable. It's Brian Fuller. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, maybe that's why they couldn't say, oh, man. Oh, that joke had layers. Is Emily Coots the one who plays Detmer? Yes, the one who's going to die before the season's over. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Did I say that out loud? Oh, shh. Our live stream technician points out that the DM has been announced. Uh, Noah A.K., Mary Wiseman's husband. Oh, that sentence is the gaming group on set is composed of the DM, which is Mary Wise's husband's Noah. Okay. Man, that sounds so fun. I, I too enjoy myself a little a little Dungeons and Dragons from time to time, and uh, so I did. Uh, you know, the the nerds are everywhere. We're just we're just everywhere. Can't escape us. That's the news from Star Trek Games this week. Now let's look on screen for the newest episode in the Star Trek multiverse. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 5, Die Trying, on screen. Captain Saru's log, supplemental and succinct, prepares the audience for arrival at the beginning of Season 3's second act. After entering the 32nd century's version of Space Dock and some starship... Oh my. 
portraiture, the Viking longship Discovery sails into Pearl Harbor and docks next to an aircraft carrier and a nuclear submarine. Saru and Michael and Adira beam down to Starfleet Command where Adira's possession of the symbiote requires her to leave the screen, never to be seen again. Saru and Michael are confronted with the reality of the new world where space mad cow disease not only wreaks havoc on innocent star travelers but also offers the crew a chance to be relevant despite being a thousand years behind the times. After Saru posts himself as bail to get Discovery out of Time Cop jail, the Discovery mushroom drives out to the USS TARDIS cop to pick up the space mad cow cure. On board the ship, the writers decide they need to reference Battlestar Galactica along with Doctor Who by having Michael recognize the music on the station as being the same tune Adira plays on her cello. After some classic Trekno babble and Discovery standard only Burnham can save us action is action the right word? Eh. Anyway, after that, Dr. Kolber finds the cure, and Commander Non is removed from the recurring character list by staying aboard the TARDIS cough. Now that Discovery has cured Space Mad Cow Disease, Admiral, that guy from the Brendan Fraser Mummy movie, decides not to strip the Viking longship Discovery for parts, and he apparently will send it on missions packed full of dilithium and the one FTL drive in the galaxy that can make a 10-month round trip happen in three hours. This will probably be fine. It's fine. Totally fine. Oh, yeah. All right, Captains, before we jump in, let's talk about some of the statistics. This episode first aired on November 12th, 2020 in the United States. Teleplay by Sean Cochran. Story by James Duff and Sean Cochran. Directed by Maja Vrivillo. All right. You know what? I want to take a moment to talk about this director because I thought that this episode was very well executed and very well staged, directed, filmed, the whole nine yards. I was just pulled right in from the beginning. And this director has done Trek before. They worked on uh, Perpetual Infinity for Star Trek Discovery. They worked on two episodes in Star Trek Picard. They worked on a short Trek and they have quite a number of other really good television titles under their belt, like Gotham and Preacher, Hawaii Five-0. Like, these aren't no-name shows. And so, kudos to her, but this was, I thought, just very well-directed off the bat. I thought, I agree with you, Elio, that I did not have any issues with the direction, the pacing, my favorite moment, Cronenberg and Giorgio. I thought yeah. that was maybe one of the best scenes of all of Discovery. But yeah, I had some issues with some of the other stuff. But yeah, what did you think, Tony? One thing that's hard to do is keep the screen from being too busy, especially when the, the script says, show all the spaceships and all the things. She did a, a pretty good job of ex of showing people visually what was happening in that first opening sequence and really, really sort of called back to, let's say, Star Trek Three when the Enterprise first comes in and sees the Excelsior and it gives, gives you, giving you the, the idea of being inside an enclosed space where other big starships dock. I mean, that, that, that was pretty well done. And there were a lot of other moments in there where you could tell where she wanted your eyes to go and you had no problem going there. And something we've talked about in the After Hours thing is I've always found the Discovery to be a really ugly ship and I never have liked the design at all. But in this episode, the way the director shot the ship, it wasn't nearly as terrible as I usually see it. And you saw the ship doing things 
and having things done to it. Rather than some sort of shoulder shot where you see only part of the ship, you see the whole ship and you see things happening to it, giving you a sense of scale of what's happening to, to the vessel and showing you how it moves. They don't do that very much, and this director did, and I have high praise for that. Yeah. I'm also going to take her to task in a minute for the same reason, but but for the moment, I, I, I found that to be really good. It's funny that you bring up the moment that the ship comes in because another star performer in that scene was Mary Wiseman. I feel like Mary Wiseman was the only one who was genuinely excited. Like, she wasn't acting. Some of these holes are organic. <laughs> some, some are completely comprised of holographic containment walls. That's a flying rainforest. <laughs> Whereas everyone else, there was that moment where they're in the corridor and they're looking out the window and all the other lower deckers are rushing and it's very theatrical and we're gonna look. And it's funny because there's actually a theater guy that does these memes, how to open a door if you're a man in, in a musical. And so there's this moment of like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, because this is a radio show, what you don't see is Elio jumping around in the background, hands to his face, shouting and dancing and prancing. That's, right, right. For radio purposes, that's what he was doing. So I, that, that took me out of it a little bit, just a little bit. It just felt a little over the top. But still, I stick to my, my comment that this director did an excellent job of it. And Mary Wiseman was just a treasure. You can yes. just say that and yeah. stop. Yeah. You can just say that and stop. So let me ask you guys this. I feel that it's safe to say, and I almost, I kind of, I kind of feel like you guys might actually agree with me on this one. This felt traditionally formulaic. Yes. To its predecessors of the franchise. And yes. with that in mind then, what was the morality play? What was this episode trying to convey and discuss and talk about and address? Hmm. Was there a theme? They weren't trying to have one this time, which I thought was refreshing. This was, we have a problem and we need to fit in. We need to try to figure out a way to merge what's important to us with what's important to the people around here. And we're going to try to do that by being good at our jobs, even though our jobs are a thousand years old. Well, and they were presented with the threat of being split apart. So they're trying to show their unity and cohesion. Right. But also, I mean, I don't know if we talked about Nan, but, you know, she sacrificed herself to for her mission, you know, or to complete the mission of of the people of her race so maybe as a, a moment of honor for her this non story arc was done so well with it being within an episode i can't help but compare it to arium and what they did with that how they tried to force us to feel something for arium it was a whole episode of arium's life before walking on the beach with her partner and that felt very, very forced and unnatural. And I didn't buy into it in any way, shape or form. They were pushing us to feel something because they were gonna kill her off. In this episode, everything flowed well. Everything was natural. Nan was finally given more than just yum yum, right? Like it was just, she was given depth. She was given purpose. And that actress did a phenomenal job with it. A phenomenal job with it. And I felt, I thought to myself at the end of that episode, ah, oh, gee, I kind of don't want her to go now. She's got life now. She's got, there's, there's depth to there the character. Depth. She can come back later. Yes, <laughs> That's the thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad they didn't kill her because right. that would have been sad. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're learning some things. There is a lot of melodrama. I mean, even when you're saying the direction of this show, it seemed like everyone, and Z just pointed that out, that everyone speaks like, intense whispers like it's all very ah oh, i really care about what's happening right this minute 
The Federation that I remember would understand that there is no other crew with our experience. And certainly no other crew that can operate the spore drive. Correct on both counts. Why aren't you fighting for us to stay together then? See if you can find any sign of the family. I'm going in the ball. <laughs> you know, it's all a bit a lot. That's the director doing what she can with the script. Right, That's, right. Yeah. All right. Well, there was yeah, a lot I, of that this episode. A lot of Michael whispering intently. That's every week. <laughs> But that's a thing of today's television, though. I, Patrick Stewart, when in one of the interviews, many interviews that he had done about Picard, he had talked about how he was learning from these new actors, because when you're a stage performer, you do not rely on microphones. You everything is from the diaphragm and you are projecting and you are not going to rely on a piece of equipment to get your voice heard across the audience. And so I remember him specifically even mentioning that about how how he learned from them to tone it down, to trust the microphone, to speak quietly, and to trust that the device is going to pick up the nuances that nobody, except for me, really, talks like this. <laughs> I remember in college, in college, I took a, a class about acting for screen, and it was a recurring thing for me. Elio, tone it back. You don't have to project. You don't have to project. You're not on stage. Just speak like a normal human, just not speak like a normal human being, but speak nope. like you would in a closed, intimate space. At about half speed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, I think that's what is happening a lot, especially with this these dramatic things that have to happen. They're trying to do the quiet thing and they're slowing way down and they're it's it's, it's they're squeezing in as much as they can out of it. And yeah, it doesn't seem like how real people talk. Mm -hmm. it, exactly. Uh, it, do, it just doesn't, uh, you know, except for when Mary Wise says that's a flying rainforest. You know, when she says it, I think that that's real. But when people start talking about how Michael Burnham once again is the only one that can possibly save the situation. I, I get know, it. She's but she's like, the lead. It's probably in her contract. I get it. But it's but it's week after week when she is saving the bacon for everybody. Yeah, why she's couldn't Non get through to that guy? She I mean I know, it was right? going just fine. <laughs> you know, um <laughs> so crazy. Speaking of Non, I do want to take a moment to say the actor's name. I think it's important to recognize the talent yes. and the people who are behind it. Rachel and Cheryl uh, is the actor that plays Non. And I think did a phenomenal job this episode. And I and I'm sad to see her go because she did such a great such great work this She'll episode. Probably be back. I hope so. I yeah, hope so. I mean, yeah, but because she's flying a TARDIS. But then again, yeah. But here's the other thing too: is I if I was an actor in Star Trek and I'm coming into this and my character sucks, I would feel like Denise Crosby did. You know what? I nah, this isn't for me. I'm gonna go and you know do something else because I'm not. Uh, you know, this is not feeding the creator in me and so maybe this actor felt that way and then they had to write her off she you know the contract ended and she moved on hopefully not hopefully not hopefully she comes back but you know this could very well be they had to write her off because they got too many yeah yeah i think they're gonna got... bring in the and their engineering chick the blonde one no they well i mean they, there's there's just too many of them i mean you got you got like five or six of them on the bridge you know you got tilly and stamets and reno and saru i mean there's just too many characters there's too many of them they have to, they've got to make cuts someplace now they're bringing in the admiral and the admiral's assistant right so those are going to be recurring characters now too i mean it just gets unwieldy and too much i mean can we talk about Giorgio and david cronenberg yes, yes please. please that was fun oh my god <laughs> the blinking thing was stupid they they needed to cut that that was just dumb just go straight to the cronenberg stuff yeah. Yeah, just go straight to the just go straight to that guy. Don't yeah. need up. You don't need a wind up for that. I I love the whole thing. I 
thought it was fantastic. That was just fun. I have had a hard time jumping on the Giorgio train because I have felt that the character has been one dimensional, no real depth. We see a little bit of depth when she lets her guard down for Burnham, but something like that hasn't happened in a long time. And so I have I've been really struggling to like Michelle Yeoh's character and Michelle Yeoh's portrayal. And then this episode happened. And boy, oh boy, did that change my mind. And for the first time, I was like, yeah, I want to know about, yeah, Giorgio. Yeah, yeah, be that. Yeah, let's get that depth in that character. Let's let's dig a little deeper than what we've seen before. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved everything about that scene. So good. D- don't worry. They're going to connect her to some subspace thing messing with her brain that's going to explain the burn and the music and they'll ruin it. Don't, wor- don't worry. Give them a couple of more episodes and they'll just wreck it all. They'll they'll go back to you thinking it's stupid. It's okay. And a shout out to both the directing and David Cronenberg himself. There is, there is, when singing a song, there are moments in a song where the actor either, you know, has a moment to take a breath, a literal breath, and inhale. But a lot of singing actors, a lot of actors have a hard time figuring out what to do in a, in a breath during that space of a breath how to connect things and stay in the moment and there's this there was that one moment where david cronenberg takes a breath just before he's going to start explaining to her man it blew my mind i was like man that is some nuanced craftsmanship right there the burn appeared to have been quite the humbling experience for the federation who was responsible that's two questions pick one there are conflicting theories but no hard proof pointing at any one particular bad guy. And it was just so beautifully delivered. So, what a beautiful scene between the two of them. Just so well done. And I, th- I think, right, th- I mean, it, seem- it seems stupid to comment on a breath like that, but but I but I get you. And I think that's because most of the other time in Discovery, with the exception of Mary Wiseman saying that's a brain force on the ship, everything appears to be so overwrought and carefully constructed. When that guy did that, and I know exactly what you're talking about, it seemed like he was a real old man trying to, like, do something unpleasant. Like, yeah. okay, so here we go. I mean, it's just, he just, did, like, yeah, that's that's what an old man who had to talk to some crazy woman would right. do. That's But that's just where, seemed- like, the dialogue in, you know, it's so key there and all we have is action 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 like oh we gotta do you know everything but then you get this moment of zen yes it yes. was a moment, a moment of, zen. of zen that's an excellent it was a moment of yeah. zen yeah you know yep. and, and comparatively you know there's scenes from last week's episode where where there were many times when people would be delivering a specific line and there was this awkward <laughs> stupid pause yeah. that was just so out of place and just uh but here, especially that scene with Cronenberg, everything had purpose. Everything had a moment. There was a beat to everything. And just, man, that was an excellent, excellent scene. I, yeah, I wish we had more of that. Can we talk about the TARDIS for a second? Yeah. What TARDIS? What are you talking about? The seed ship. <laughs> Why do you call it a TARDIS, though? Because it's bigger on the inside. I see. I thought that, too, because it's this teeny tiny. Like, it's supposed to have, like, all the seeds of all the world, and it's this tiny thing. It would. 18 of them would fit in the shuttle bay. It's smaller than one of the Discovery shuttles. And this is what I was talking about earlier when I said they did such a good job of showing the Discovery in its environment and giving you a sense of scale and what happens to it. And the little, and the seed ship, which holds, like Kat said, every seed from all the Federation, it's smaller than their shuttle. And when they're having this big problem about what to do with Nan and the, and the 
like a sick person, or whatever. They could have just stuck it in the shuttle bay and taken it back to space dock. They got room in space dock. There's all kinds of room in space dock. They can just park it there. You know, you bring up something that I've been thinking about as I've been watching The Mandalorian and I rewatched Rogue One this last weekend that they really screwed up the visual aesthetics for Star Trek insofar that when you watch Rogue One or any of the new Star Wars or Mandalorian, they're not upping the or enhancing or reimagining what the cockpit of a ship looks like. It's still beep, boop, beep, boop. it's still gumdrop buttons and toggles and switches, right? Yep. And yep. you got to give them credit because that brings and delivers a charm to those films and that show continuity and continuity that i think really really just drives home how how good the storytelling is right that they don't have to rely on spending and blowing their budget on reimagining what the ship would look like and i i gotta say man i really think that they did themselves a terrible disservice by trying to reimagine you know like the bridge of the enterprise you know reimagine what the discovery bridge would look like which was in tos era i'm not saying it needed to be technicolor spectacular right it didn't need to be 60s technicolor but if they would have toned back the first two seasons of the technology, I think that we would be really impressed and be perhaps even more open-minded about what we're seeing now in in the yeah, through exactly 900 years yes. in the future. Uh, I they, agree. Yeah, that that was the you know obviously they weren't planning on bringing these people 900 years in the future when they were doing season one, but but yeah, that's exactly the missed opportunity. Is that all these holograms and and things that were completely out of place in what we as Star Trek fans remember as 23rd century aesthetic would have been exactly right at home in the 32nd century and yeah it, it now and now they're trying to imagine you know even farther ahead technologically well right. technology technology and it just doesn't work it's like makes it very awkward yeah yeah your your ship's a thousand years old and yet your interfaces and your design aesthetics look like the people a thousand years ahead of you right yeah it they just, just so have it, that groovy programmable matter but how much does that cost when you didn't even need to do that <laughs> and uh, yeah I just just think it's a reflection of either they don't have enough confidence in their story or they were given a budget and they said you know let's just let's just make it look pretty or somebody made a decision to make it look pretty and yet you got mandalorian that's killing it and it still toggles and switches on their on the spaceship and they're in a galaxy far far away i mean i just i feel like it was a missed opportunity but anyway i think that about wraps it up for this episode of on screen i I'm want like, to oh yeah i forgot what we were doing <laughs> Yeah. Well, we started this episode last Thursday. You know. I did. Yeah, it's been like five years. <laughs> that wraps up this week's on screen for Star Trek Discovery. Now let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Last week, our first community question was, was Janeway justified in splitting Tuvix to save Tuvok and Neelix? Was Tuvix murdered? And this is a hot-button topic for most of you. On Twitter, Evan writes, Tuvix was murdered. Janeway was responsible, but other than the doctor, all the senior officers and Kess were complicit. Also from Twitter, Joshua J. Sloan responded, murdering one person to bring back two dead people is not justified. Again from Twitter, Seth Harvest replied, he was begging for his life. No, she was not justified. From Facebook, Joseph Corlito Morel says, yes, it reminds me of an episode of Stargate Atlantis where a random chick and Rodney got all messed up. To have two people inherit the same body is unfair and will cause harm. 
confirmed. Also on Facebook, Matthew Mevis wrote, Tuvok and Neelix were people on her crew roster. Tuvix was not. Again from Facebook, AJ Biega responded with several paragraphs saying in summary, Yes, she was justified. I hear people say that Janeway commits murder, but Tuvix does as well. For him to live, he kills two other people. Kenneth writes, Janeway was justified. Tuvix was not murdered. He was just a being that was formed by an accident that needed to be corrected. In the end, Tuvix attempted to be selfish and cause a lot more pain to everyone around him. From Facebook, Paul Andre Leduc says, to be or not to be. Tuvix's memory is still shared by Tuvok and Neelix. When Tuvix screams, I want to live! Neelix and Tuvok also scream they want to live. Shared mind. Even Tuvix didn't feel right. He felt out of place. It might have brought the two men closer just for that shared experience. Eileen Brown wrote, It was quite poignant when Tuvix was forced to go through the separation. He had become a personality in his own right. But having said that, he was depriving the other two from regaining their identities too. From Facebook, Christian Matthews, a proud member of the Priority One Klingon fleet, House of Grilka, says, As a proud member of Grilka, I'm going to say yes. A. It's questionable to say that Tuvix is a separate being. B. Utilitarians would demand that we sacrifice one to save two, as would a certain DS9 game. C. I'm of the theory that both Neelix and Tuvok's chakras, souls, etc., were fused into one rather than creating a whole new being. As such, for all the above, the separation is justified. Mm, That's deep. Wow. That's some spirituality there. That's a lot. Our second community question last week was, has the shift in the content release model for Star Trek Online affected how you play? From Twitter, Seth Harvest writes, I just missed this last Red Alert event because I was so burned out. I really don't play anymore. I log in, do the event once, and if my fleet doesn't say anything, log out. It's like a job. I'm telling you, I kind of feel that way too sometimes, especially when I got to log in and fix things that they broke or didn't fix. Yeah, it does seem like that lately, and I want to blame COVID-19, but with all of the recent, you know, bundles, our favorite, and some other things, like, I really do feel like, yeah, you just have to log in to get the thing, and it's not super fun to play the missions anymore. I can't even remember the last time I really played a mission for fun. Well, that wraps up episode 487 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all and share them with your friends. And we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like David K. Rutley, Peter Archibald, Gerald Bosch, and Joshua Selig. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Do you think LeVar Burton should be the next host of Jeopardy? If so, did you sign the petition? And if not, why didn't you sign it? Go sign it now! Also, how do you feel about the selection and pricing of the new Star Trek Online ships in the year of our Lord 2020? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. If you're still craving more... Be sure to spend time with Winters, Anthony, Thomas, me, plus the rest of the Priority One Armada on Saturday nights. The Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including Spotlight.
spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you're new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times. And if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Captains, during these difficult times, we are humbled by the continued support of our patrons who find value in the content that we produce each and every week. And don't forget, we aren't just asking for your money. You can also join the team and become a volunteer. We're looking for audio editors to join the group because many hands make for light work. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons and Dragons like the cool Discovery people like to do. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, Brandon, William, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Speaking of Brandon, a big shout out to him for being the voice in my head this episode as our live stream technician. It's not an easy job, but Brandon did a heck of one this week. So Brandon, kudos to you. Thank you so very much. Thank you, and thanks for having me. Thanks to our producer, Jake, and associate producers, Shane and Thomas. Together, they help organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our social media manager, Anthony. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry, with support from Jason of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Engage. Podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.